Well, I want to greet Randy and Alice Matthews back in our stream world. We miss them. Our prophet this morning, Isaiah, opened by saying, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. It really is an amazing statement. Epiphany is about the manifestation of the Lord in our world. And epiphany for Jesus in the church season is about the manifestation of Jesus to the world to see who he is. So that the Galileans and Judeans could recognize the Messiah. During epiphany, we have encountered so far the baptism, which is every year, is the epiphany epiphany of our Lord's identity as the Son of God. He turned water into wine, LOL, abundance of wine, way too much, which was part of the gig, obviously. It was an epiphany of abundance. And in the last two weeks, we've looked at Jesus' opening kingdom vision in his sermons at Nazareth, which was an epiphany of his mission of the kingdom of God. Our epiphany text today is Jesus' epiphany to Peter in Galilee, which Pastor Stephanie has uh, danced her way through. Epiphanies have three elements. There is an epiphany or a manifestation itself. There is an illumination of those who perceive the epiphany, and not everybody does. And there is a summons to a new life because of seeing this epiphany. Some epiphanies in the Gospels are otherworldly and outworldly and supernatural. Others are rather gentle moments, ordinary material revelations, where people have to perceive what Jesus is revealing in an ordinary event. But every one of them reveals who Jesus is and illuminates those who perceive it and summons them to the way of the Lord. To see Jesus for who he really is, and he is many things all at once, as we have come to realize, is simultaneously to be unmasked or illuminated and enlightened and then summoned to this new life with Jesus. We learn who Jesus is all over again by turning to our Gospels and reading them and listening to them. Every passage in all four Gospels tells us something about Jesus. And we have the nasty human habit of turning these passages into something about us when they are about Jesus. And we only understand us when we understand who Jesus is. So these gospel passages are all about Jesus. They are epiphanies of beauty. The English philosopher Roger Scruton once said, beauty tells you to stop thinking about yourself and to wake up to the world of others. Beauty says, look at this, listen to this, study this, for there is something more important than you. And that's what these passages do. They waken us 
to who he is so that in a sense we can understand him and therefore us. Yes, these passages do speak to us, but primarily they are manifestations, epiphanies. They are epiphanic moments. That's seminary-type language, but I'm from that other seminary. They are epiphanic moments when we catch a vision of who Jesus is. And this scene of Peter with Jesus um, is a revelation of who he is. And Peter seems to be about the only one who gets it. The baptism, again then, is not about our baptism. The water into wine is not about uh, topping off uh, our glasses of wine with a little extra. And the Nazareth sermon is not about us, but the king and his kingdom. So we want to look at this passage in Luke 5, 1 to 11 today. A growing crowd of people listening to Jesus on the shore. It says in the Gospel of Luke, the Lake of Gennesaret. We call this mostly the Sea of Galilee. Most likely, Jesus is in Capernaum, which happens to be my favorite place in the city of in Galilee. And that's where my imagination is right now. It's a nice place. And that synagogue is still there. Well, underneath there, but... They did dig down so you can stand on a first century synagogue. Jesus climbs into Peter's wooden boat, and there's a wooden boat museum there too, which they'll tell you is from the first century, so you'll pay to see it. And they will sell you wine there as well. And he converts the boat into a teaching platform. In customary Jewish posture, Jesus sits down to teach which is a whole lot better than trying to find steady feet in a wobbling boat, especially if the water is not completely calm. When done, and out of nowhere, Jesus instructs Peter to row the boat farther out into the water and cast the nets down to catch some fish. Peter, true to character, the character we will come to love and know in the pages of the Gospels, helps the Lord out a little bit by telling him there aren't any fish out there. Even fishermen sometimes tell the truth. But the Lord spoke, and Peter listened. And so he dropped the note, the, the nets and said, because you say so, I will let down the nets. That's quite a moment for Peter. And you know what happens. Like the wine of Cana, there is an abundance of fish. Too many. Net-breaking success. Two boats full. No. This is starting to sound like a fisherman's story. So full, the boats start to sink. You know, hashtag, let's have a fish barbecue. Most people think the fishes were tilapia. And they are called in the Holy Land, St. Peter's Fish, to this day. What happens next makes the whole event epiphanic. The event is about Jesus. We were paying attention to the fish, right? How many fish flopping around in the boat? Not about fishing techniques, this, this scene. Not about Peter. Out of the blue, Peter 
falls at the feet of Jesus and says, get out of here. He's unmasked because he's been illuminated by a revelation of Jesus in this abundance of fish. It doesn't follow. But it follows for the eye of faith to see that Jesus has revealed the abundance of the kingdom of God early in his ministry. And Peter confesses that he's a sinful man. In the event, Peter saw the Lord like Isaiah. Unlike the others, he saw through that abundant harvest of fish into the glory of Jesus himself. He encountered God. Epiphanies manifest the Lord, and then they illuminate those who with eyes to see, and Peter was such a person. The others, for some reason, are not illuminated, or at least not the way Peter was. The text tells us they were astonished. They didn't confess their sins. They didn't fall at the feet of Jesus. The epiphany illuminated Peter about himself as well as about the Lord. In seeing the glory and spotless Lord, Peter saw himself for what he was, a sinner. And in grace and mercy and goodness, Jesus lifts this sinner from the ground, and he says, don't be afraid, because he had experienced the awe before God. And he plays on the epiphanic event of fishing by saying, now I think our translations get this wrong, and I'll clarify this. Well, it's not wrong, but it could be better. It says, you know, you will fish. Doesn't it say you will fish? The word that, that Luke uses means to catch things alive. And it is often a military term, is when they take a city captive, but they leave everybody alive. So he tells Peter, you're going to catch people alive. That's going to be your ministry. I first learned this from a student 35 years ago at a seminary real close to here with the initials T-E-D-S. His name was Greg Vidala, and he wrote this amazing paper on the significance of Zogreo in the ancient world. And he's a pastor on the East Coast today, still catching fish alive. To catch people alive is to usher people into a relationship with Jesus, to launch a life worth living, to promote human flourishing and justice, and to disestablish injustice. Luke tells us that the circle of people left everything and followed Jesus. He revealed himself, and they said, let's go. This did not make James and John's, you know, they're, they're part of this scene in the other Gospels, their father was not too happy, Zebedee, that they had dropped their nets and left him to take care of all the work. But epiphanies manifest like this. They illuminate, and they call us to a new life. Now, evangelicals have a tendency at this point to close the shop and to say, a soul's been won, the day is done. We can count Peter on our rolls now. He's on our team. We can tell his story to support our story. And we win. 
We too saw the Lord and confessed our sin, and Jesus called us, and now we're all together. But knowing Jesus is not like this. One epiphany leads to another epiphany. And the epiphanies will continue in Peter's life. And I want to explore these with you this morning. We can see how Peter's life witnesses to a profound reality about the Christian life. That Jesus calls us to ongoing epiphanies as Peter had ongoing epiphanies. Peter becomes what Barbara Brown Taylor calls, you'll like this expression, a detective of divinity. Peter begins to see divinity in all sorts of things in his life, and he begins to detect it. Think of Peter's confession. He's led on by Jesus by questions. You know, just answer my question, who do you think I am? Peter blurts out, Messiah. That's the right answer. That's pretty good. No small confession. Makes him a Lutheran. He's now made the confession. But Jesus then gives Peter an epiphany that is blunted, and uh, Peter's bursting confidence says, no way, man. Messiahs don't die. Messiahs get crowns. And Jesus turns that word on its head, flips Peter upside down and says, this one does. And Peter, I know you saw the Lord on the sea, but now you're going to see something new about the Lord. We're going to the cross, and I want you to follow me. And this is exactly what happens in Mark chapter 8. Peter then begins to realize that catching people alive will mean calling people to follow a cross-shaped Messiah. You remember that Peter didn't think this dying Messiah was such a great idea. He had never heard of such a thing. But by the time Peter writes 1 Peter, Peter has so embraced the cross-shaped life, a cross-shaped Jesus, that he tells us in chapter 2, that we are to see him as an example that we should follow in his steps. He traces for us on the seashore how to walk. And he calls us to follow him. And he says that we are called by this to die to our sins and to live for righteousness. So Peter realizes now that Jesus is calling him to a cross-shaped, life-saving mission. Right after the crucifixion scene that Jesus predicts is the transfiguration. Talk about an epiphany. He sees the Lord again, an encounter with God at its most ecstatic. Peter again says, hey guys, let's build tents. This is really cool. This is a mountaintop experience. Let's see how long we can make it last. Peter's words are clueless as to what's happening. He was groping for something. Nancy Mears once said, precise terms, no matter how intricate, will never quite catch God in the act. And this was the act of God 
and no words were going to catch it. And that's why God said to Peter, what? Basically, he said, now this is my translation, shut up and listen. Instead of using language, Peter only perceived the Lord because he listened. And then he sees that Jesus is calling him to catch people alive with a glorious and cross-shaped Lord. He begins to have more epiphany. Now, my, my phone's not working. I don't know how much time I have. Okay. Let me see if I can get this. Okay, I have four minutes left. Okay. I've been put on a time limit. I grew up Baptist. Think of Peter's denials. And then after the resurrection, meeting up with Jesus in Galilee. And there's another catch of fish in John chapter 21. It sort of sounds like John's version of Luke chapter 5. And Peter says, it's dark, it's early in the morning, and Peter says, it's the Lord. It's an epiphany. He sees Jesus. So pumped is, G is Peter that he jumps out of the boat and he swims to the shore. And by the time the others get to the shore, there's a barbecue of fish for breakfast on the shore. An epiphany again. And Jesus summons him. But do you remember what happens in John 21? He says to Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times Peter says, I do, I do, I do. And they undo the three denials that have just happened. Peter learns as an apostle that though he is called to catch people alive and to usher people to see this glorious cross-shaped Lord, that there will be failure and there can be restoration beyond failure. And that's what Peter learns. Then we get into the book of Acts. I know we're now starting to transgress church calendar understanding of epiphany, but I grew up Baptist, so I can do what I want. In Acts chapter 2, he sees that this mission of catching people alive can only occur through the power of the Spirit. And then there's that amazing scene in Acts chapter 10 where Peter has this very unusual epiphany of the Lord lowering a sheet with all kinds of unclean food on it. And Peter, a Jew, tastes shrimp and pork for the first time. And he thinks, this is very good. And he realizes that this is an epiphany of the mission that so shocked him that when he began to preach, to Gentiles, he said this. This is a condescending remark. Well, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Even Gentiles believe. And now Peter's life-catching mission to lead people to this cross-shaped but glorious Lord through the power of the Spirit will mean for the rest of his life that he is also going to preach the gospel to Gentiles. And you know, Samaria and all the way around. Peter ends up in northwest Turkey preaching the gospel and forming churches. 
We get stuck sometimes as evangelical Christians with the first decision, which is often an epiphany-type experience. But Peter lived a life of epiphanies, and it kept deepening his mission and his perception of who the Lord was and his perception of himself. We can grow open to the Lord to see the Lord as Peter did all those times. To swipe some words of my favorite novelist, Willa Cather, I love this line. She said that someone was on the right trail going west, for he had seen no other. Peter knew no other trail other than this life-saving mission of catching people alive. And he deepened it. And we are on the right trail when we follow with Peter for epiphanic moments. Each Sunday, when we read the gospel, do you notice that we stand when we read the gospel? Because we are witnessing that this is an epiphany. We can sit for the rest of the Bible, but when the gospels are read, we stand because we are going to see and hear the Lord. We can get on the trail for epiphanic moments ourselves if we regularly read the Gospels. Jesus will suddenly become visible to us in new and fresh ways, most of the time in gentle nods of the soul, but every now and then in fresh appearings. I'm done. I didn't know that happened at the end, so I'm sorry. We will be called like Peter to give up everything and to follow Jesus as if for the first time, all over again and again and again and again. That's the epiphany that Peter saw. Okay. That's again, I'm finishing. So, sorry. <laughs>